Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, tonight we are starting a new series, and I uh, will try to be efficient in, in the message I'm bringing. But we're going we're to start a new series called Not Just the Beginning. It's a series to the book of Genesis. And as we, uh, well, not, not going to be exhaustive through the book of Genesis. Uh, we don't have time for that, but we'll be spending the rest of the semester in the book of Genesis. And, and in the book of Genesis, it's about the beginning. Genesis literally means the beginning. And so we're going to look at the, the beginning of creation, the beginning of our, of our faith, but what we're going to realize, it's not just the beginning, but what we're going to read about is actually paradigmatic of our lives as well. We're going to look, look and discover who God is, who we are, and we're meant to be. Um, we're going to look at, to, to see uh, what our purpose is, and we're going to find out that their stories are our stories, and we're going to learn what it looks like to really walk with God. And so I'm excited about the, the rest of the semester as we walk through this book. Um, tonight, I'm going to look at Genesis 1 and 2, and I'm going to be honest with you, I have debated back and forth of like what to focus in on as we look at Genesis 1 and 2 so much. So, I mean, I've probably had a couple, two or three discussions with my wife about this, like, because I, I wish I had many weeks to speak on uh, these two chapters, but I don't. And so... Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at something that may be a little bit unusual out of Genesis 1 and 2, but I think will be very appropriate. It, we could spend the whole time looking at what we learned about God from Genesis 1 and 2. And that would be a wonderful message. We could look about how we're made for relationship with God and relationship for, with each other and the importance of living that out well. Um, but what we're going to look at tonight is actually we're going to look at a theology of work. A theology of work. I have a question for you. If Jesus were walking the earth today, would he celebrate Labor Day? I mean, like, would he really celebrate Labor Day? Like, would he put on a party hat, blow a blower, and celebrate your major? Woo! Comp school! Yeah. Woo! Woo! East school! You know, would, would Jesus, God in the flesh, celebrate your major? Celebrate your career after you do your at least 40 hours a week of, you know, the responsibilities. And then, you know, the, because, you know, here, let's face it, you're going to spend about half of your adult life working. And so does that mean that, that you can only do the Lord's work with your discretionary time after you cook and clean and, you know, do your laundry and pay your bills and, you know, all the other stuff. So what we're going to look at is what does the Bible say about work and what is the Lord's work? And so uh, why don't you go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to read a couple passages out of Genesis chapter 1 and then a one verse out of chapter 2 and then we are going to talk for a few minutes. And if you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. And I want to encourage you every week, bring your Bible. We will use it every week. I promise you. I promise you. And so when I say something really profound, you can circle it, underline it, star it, have it change your life. All right. 
And it's pro- actually in India right now, people are just getting up, so I'm feeling really good, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, are you guys seeing a theme? It tells us that we are made in the image of God, which is packed full of implications. That could be a whole other message, all the implications with that, okay? But what it tells us right after it says that we were made in the image of God, is it goes into that we are entrusted as image bearers with the responsibility to rule over God's creation and to subdue the earth. In other words, one of the ways we live out the image of God is through our work. That he has given given us work to do where he wants us to take this good creation that he has created and he wants us to move it forward and create culture and cause this good creation that's so full of potential to flourish and to be everything he intended it to be when he created it. And then chapter 2 verse 15 it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Okay, Let me point out something. God gave humanity work before the fall. Okay? So work isn't some response to the fall. It was before the fall. Also, uh, a theologian by the name of Gordon Wenham wrote a very important commentary on Genesis. And he points out a very astute observation. He points this out. That the two verbs, work it and take care of it, the two verbs used there are the two verbs that are used throughout the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, to speak of the work that the priests do. That the priests, when it speaks of their duties that they will fulfill when they are taking care of the the tabernacle, for example, they are to work and take care of the tabernacle. In other words, the work that God gives Adam and Eve to do in the garden is priestly work. It's the stuff that priests do. It's the work that's supposed to be done for God in the presence of God to cause God's creation to flourish. It's the the same verbs that are used throughout for priestly work, samar and abad. That's what priests do, and that's what he tells Adam to do in the garden. The point is, is that work is supposed to be worship. Studying worship. Okay, so let me give you a uh, definition for work. This is my definition. I may have ripped it off somebody years and years ago. I don't know. Um, But here's the definition. Work is taking your God-given abilities 
and partnering with God for the flourishing, should be the flourishing, not flourish, (laughs) that's my bad, flourishing of people, culture, and creation. It's taking your God-given abilities and partnering with him for the flourishing of people, culture, and creation. Now, what I want to do is I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about how we turn our work into worship. And I'm going to look at three quick things. Number one, that what you do matters. Number two, how you do it matters. And number three, where you do it matters. That's where we're, what we're going to cover and we're going to call it a day. Okay, what you do matters. Almost every job, every major at UVA can be a way to fulfill this mandate of taking creation and causing people, culture, and creation to flourish through our work. Okay, before I was a a campus missionary, I was a certified public accountant. I was a CPA who my job was to be an auditor. What an auditor did is we went into these uh, publicly held companies um, that were massive companies, were shareholders invested in these companies, and we would audit their financial statements to ensure that they were reliable. Um, I, w- I have a confession for you. When I was a CPA, I often struggled with a bit of, bit of an existential crisis. And that was, does what I do matter? Like, am I impacting the world at all? And to be frank with you, I, I really didn't know how to answer that at that time uh, until there was a company called Enron. You can go ahead and put up their logo. Uh, Enron was a, a large behemoth of a company that was an energy company. And it came out that Enron had been um, not honest on their financial reports. They had been manipulating their financial reports to look much better than they actually were. And see, what was supposed to happen is an auditor was to find out what was going on and and cause them to change it and to bring it into conformity so everybody who is investing in Enron wouldn't lose their money. Well, overnight, the house of cards came tumbling down and thousands of people who worked for Enron lost their jobs lost their retirement, lost their life savings. And people who had invested in this company, who had put money in their 401k and saved so someday they could retire and maybe help their grandkids go to school or something, you know, I mean, had dreams for this money, their money disappeared. And in that moment, as this unfolded, in fact, we're living in one of those moments right now, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but something called Silicon Valley Bank is going through the same thing right now. And what happened was, when I saw that, I went, oh my goodness. And I realized that what I did as an auditor in a room with no windows in my laptop was actually causing people, culture, and creation to flourish. So the plumber who wants to someday retire because he knows his knees aren't going to keep lasting, right? He could invest in the stock market, be able to trust that the information that he was investing in was correct, so then someday he could retire and bless himself, his family, his church, his community, and so on. Are you guys following me? That what I was doing was bringing integrity to the market so people, culture, and creation could flourish. And can I tell you that when that is missing, when there isn't integrity in the market, entire nations can stay destitute. 
And I was like, oh my goodness, as I sat there thinking, this is an exercise of futility. What am I doing with my life? I was actually doing something incredibly meaningful. That my work could be priestly work. Um, To get to the heart of this, Tim Keller in his book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, which by the way, If you want a great book to read on this topic, I I commend this book to you. I have a quote. I'm going to put it up here. I want to read it. It's it's a little bit long. But he speaks of, imagine that you are sitting in a wooden chair. And tonight you are not sitting in a wooden chair, a metal chair. But humor me for a moment. Imagine it's wooden. He could probably write the same thing about a metal chair. He says, look at the chair you're lounging in. Could you have made it for yourself? How would you get it? How would you get, say, the wood? Go and fell a tree, but only after first making the tools for that and putting together some kind of vehicle to haul the wood and constructing a mill to turn it into lumber and roads to drive it from place to place. In short, it would take a lifetime or two to make one chair. If we worked 100 hours a week, we couldn't make ourselves from scratch even a fraction of all the goods and services that we call our own. He says this, Imagine that everyone quits working right now. What happens? Civilized life quickly melts away. Food vanishes from the shelf. Gas dries up at the pumps. Streets are no longer patrolled. And fires burn themselves out. Communication and transportation services end. Utilities go dead. Those who survive at all are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal hides. The difference between a wilderness and culture is simply work. Wow. As I thought about this, I thought about all the people that bless me, that their work causes my life to flourish and therefore is an act of love towards me. Like I I thought about uh, the people who engineered and then the laborers who made my car that hopefully will last for hundreds of thousands of miles, right? Because of good engineering, that, that they made my car. Then I think about the people who made the roads and the bridges to go over like mountains and valleys and, and rivers so that I could see my family and go places and go on trips. And, and then I, I think about the electricity in my house, and all the people with calloused hands that make it possible for electricity to come to my house, and how they're a blessing to me. And, and about the plumber who causes like the plumbing stuff to like do what it's supposed to do, and it go to where it's supposed to go, and when I turn this, stuff comes out, and when I push this, stuff goes away. Are you following me, right? Like, I, I am thankful for people who make that happen. I'm thankful for people who create technology. I'm thankful for people who, well, who, who make my Pixel, not my iPhone, okay, um, and my computer. Okay, I don't need to go there, but um, that makes my life easier. I'm thankful for nurses and doctors for when my son has a deviated septum, it can get fixed, just maybe, anyways, hypothetically speaking. I'm thankful for people in labs who are finding uh, cures to things that 
that someday my family might need. Are, are you guys following me? This, like I could go on. I'm thankful for teachers. I'm thankful for farmers. I'm thankful for people who stock shelves. I'm pay, thankful for people who ring me out at the cash register. I mean, I am thankful for people who take their work seriously because it can be an act of, 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 of love towards me as they do their job. And as people apply their gifts, I'm thankful that when I have a toothache or a noise in my car that isn't supposed to be there or a leak in my roof that not everyone's called to be a campus missionary. Are you following me? (laughs) Yeah. Because all of these are ways to help people, culture, and creation to flourish. Wherever God takes you, your work matters. See, God put them in the garden to tend to it. I remember we had a, a pastor from um, Mount Zion, First African Baptist Church, Alvin Edwards, come speak in, at Kaiaf, and he spoke on this passage. I'll never forget what he said. He said this. He said, what some people consider a garbage dump, you can consider a garden when God has placed you there and called you there. And here's the thing. Some people may look at what you're going to do with your life and think, oh man, I wouldn't want to do that. And you're you're like, hey, guess what? God didn't call you to do that. But he called me to do that. And it's not a garden. It's my garden because God placed me here and I'm going to tend it and take care of it. You guys follow me. And so if God's called you there, that's your garden. Okay, so what you do matters. That's the first step in how you turn work into worship. Number two, how you do it matters. Let me uh, give you a quick verse here uh, from Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do it with half of your heart. No, no, no. no. Do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not just for human masters, since as you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. What is the apostle Paul saying? He's saying, when you work, Be diligent in your work. Have integrity in your work. Be someone who puts in an honest day's work. Be someone who does your best work and does the most work you can in the time that you have. In other words, apply yourself. See, there's really three ways you can approach your work. There's three ways you can approach the studies as you go down the home stretch of this semester, okay? Let me give them to you. Number one, you can approach your work as... A sluggard. How does a sluggard approach their work? A a sluggard approaches their work this way. By doing as little as possible. By taking their gifts that God has given them for granted. And the opportunities that God has given them for granted. And just trying to do the bare minimum to skate by. That's what a sluggard does. If you want to learn about the sluggard, read Proverbs. It talks a lot about the the sluggard. And so this is the person who does the bare minimum, who isn't reliable, who isn't dependable. So don't be a sluggard. Number two, don't be a slave to your work. What what, what do you mean by that, Pete? I mean by somebody who's a slave to their work is somebody who their work has power over them because their work will tell them if they are a success or failure in life. In other words, the next paper they write, 
The next project they do, the next test they take is full of anxiety and fear because it has the power to tell them if they're a success or failure. It has the power to tell them if they have a hope and a future or if they are going to, to uh, live a dismal life in their own. Are you guys following me? Because this, they have allowed their GPA to be their king. Their trust is not in Jesus, but in their GPA. Their identity is so bound up in their performance that everything is fitful and fearful and anxious because their work has a power over them. And I've been here for 22 years, and I have seen the difference of somebody who their work has, has, has become their master and it's full of anxiety, it's full of fear, and the next test is so, so pressurized because they feel like their whole future is on the line. And somebody who faithfully studies but is free. I mean, they're the people who still come to core group even when there's a test. They're people who, who you can count on. They're people who they're diligent, but they're not um, overwhelmed all the time because they're not enslaved to their work. And so, don't be a sluggard and don't be a slave to your work. And then the third option is this, is to be a steward. Oh, actually, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Um, I, I'm sorry, Josh, I took some. Let me talk about slave just for a second. Genesis 1 and 2, uh, I have a quote. You can go ahead and put it up there. I thought this was, I, I was reading a book uh, recently and I, I found this quote that I thought that is really, really good. Uh, Brian uh, Chapel he points out this, that we are given our label before we are given our labor. In other words, we are told in Genesis 1 that we're made in the image of God before we're told what to do. In other words, our identity and who we are isn't contingent on how much we accomplish. It isn't contingent on how much we make. It isn't contingent on what name is on our business card. Our work is secondary to our identity, and our identity is not contingent on our work. Are you guys following me? And it's when we get those two messed up that we go into a lot of different ditches. In fact, he, he has another quote uh, that I just found beautiful. He said, when you grasp this, the profound beauty of being valued by God before you have done work for God, being treasured for who you are, not for what you accomplish, then your life will never be the same. In other words, he's saying you will learn how to live out the gospel when you understand that you are loved and valued before you accomplish anything. And when you understand that, then you can live out the gospel. But as long as you think you're only going to be loved and valued by what you accomplish, then you're not going to be living in it. Are you guys following me? So your label comes before your labor. You are a child of God before you do anything. That's the gospel, right? Okay, and so now let's come to, so that's why we're not slaves to our work. Okay, now, the final one is that we are stewards. That God is the one who's given us our gifts. God is the one who's given us our opportunity. So we understand that, that our work is about stewardship, of maximizing those opportunities that God has given us by being good stewards of those and the gifts he's given us. And so we're going to be diligent, right? 
but we are also going to be free because we know we don't go to work, we don't study trying to earn our identity, but we have already got our identity in Christ, and so then we just do the best we can, we let the chips fall where they may, and we trust him after being diligent. So we're both diligent and free. Okay, so here's what I want you to ask yourself. Which one of those best describes you right now? Because if you don't learn this in your studies, you probably won't be able to live it out post-graduation. But if you learn it now, where you are, okay, sluggard is free but not diligent, right? They're free, but they're not diligent. A slave to their work is diligent, but they're not free. But a steward is both free and diligent. And so which one best describes you now? All right, and then finally, where you work matters. You know, when we think about turning our work into worship, we often probably go to this place first, that wherever we're at, we want to leverage it for God's kingdom, right? Wherever God puts us. And so as Mignot so beautifully talked about, we can do this here, or McKinley, hey, you can do this here, like as as these beautiful uh, testimonies were shared, is like, let's leverage where we're at right now. And, and here's, what, here's what I know. If I went through and asked you what your major is, here's what I would realize, is that God has given you gifts and talents he has not given me. He's given many of you um, influence in places that he hasn't given me. That many of you will see resources that I will never see. And what does that mean? is that in your place, with your influence, with your resources, with your gifts and talents, you're going to have a space to be an ambassador for Christ that I will not have. And if we all own that space in your department and in your dorm or wherever you're at, if you'll own that space to be an ambassador for Christ, then we can leverage that place for the kingdom of God. But we can do this here, right where God has called us for this season. And maybe next season he'll call you over into one of those places to be an ambassador there. I don't know. But the point is, will we leverage our place for the kingdom? When you read the Old Testament, we're going we're to be reading through Genesis. You're going to see that many of the people who are on the front lines of God's redemptive story were business people government administrators, shepherds, kings, queens. I mean, I, I could, you're going to find people who are in the marketplace that God used for his glory because they chose to follow him and be a representative of him right where they were. So here's my question for you. Will you be an ambassador Somebody's got a phone going off. That's my son, I think. Will you be an ambassador who initiates, who lives out your faith openly, and who invests and invites people? Can I ask a very simple question? Have you invited anybody to your core group this year? Have you invited anybody to MNL? 
I don't say this with condemnation. I'm just saying, like, if we all, not just your core group, it, it, it isn't just your core group leader that is supposed to be doing this. But have you invited somebody? If we all did this, what could God do? And here's the reason why I say it. Because if you don't do it in college, you're not going to do it when you graduate. When you graduate, I, I, I remember having this conversation with another campus pastor. I said, you tell me one teacher's lounge. You tell me one nursing floor, one work site, one office building that doesn't need an ambassador of Jesus in it. Show me one. Of course they can't, right? But guess what? If you don't learn how to do it now, you're not going to learn how to do it then. When I was in the marketplace, it was rare a week went by that I didn't talk about Jesus with a coworker. I mean, I got phone calls from my coworkers on Monday. Hey, I just want to let you know I went to church on Sunday. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. I'm really glad you did that. Because if you just, and I didn't like try, I mean, I I did some purposeful things, don't get me wrong. But I didn't like try to force, I was just going to be a Jesus person, right? And it happens, it just does. You can do it. The point is, is I want us to learn now, not just so Chi Alpha grows and we reach more. Yeah, I want that. I I want to reach as many people as we can. But, because I want to set a trajectory for your life that wherever God takes you, when you're in places of influence and have resources and your gifts, are, that you're a Jesus person right there. Okay. We're going to close here. I'm going to invite the worship team up. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see some things go wrong. <laughs> Needless to say. And when they go wrong, it impacts work. When we see the curses pronounced, one of the things that's cursed is work. And work turns into a four-letter word. Um, and here's what I know. Your work is not always going to be rewarding. There's going to be some times where your work will feel more like a garbage heap than a garden. And you know what you're going to have to remind yourself of? No, this is a garden because God put me here, right? And I want to tend it and take care of it. And you're going to have to remind yourself that no, my work can help people, culture, and creation flourish. God's called me here. This is my garden. God's placed you there. I also know this, that sometimes your identity is going to get tangled up with your work. Mine does. And you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to remind yourself that no, 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 no. I got my label before I got my labor. No, no, no. I was called a child of God before I did anything and accomplished anything. I'm a child of God. I'm creating an image of God. And this is where he's put me. Because you will see these things and you're going to have to to unwind that, right? And then here's the other thing I know. That you're going to work on a team somewhere that's going to be full of tension and fallen human beings. And you're going to be one of them. (laughs) And you're going to have to remember in the midst of the tension 
that God's called you there to be an ambassador and to shine his light in the midst, midst of the tension and all those fallen humans. He's called you there because he wants to use you as an ambassador. That what you do will matter. And if you can learn that in your studies now and turn it as an act of worship, then it'll set you in a trajectory. How you do it matters, both diligent and free. And where you do it, it'll matter. So here's my desire. That that other half of your adult life, wherever God takes you, maybe you will be a pastor, maybe you will be a missionary. Praise God if you are. And if you're not, you're not on the B team. That where he has you, the garden he places you in, can be an act of worship. And that you can do the Lord's work wherever he takes you. Amen? Will you stand with me? Lord, I pray that tonight you would help us to have a vision for what you have for us. That all of us, by what we do, how we do it and where we do it, will join you in causing people, culture, and creation to flourish and God willing, your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Amen. Let's worship. Lord, thank you that you are so good. As we look at the creation story, we see that you are good. And what you make is good. And you call us to join with you in causing this good creation to flourish. And Lord, I pray for each of the people here that that they would discover the garden that you have for them. And that they would be faithful to work it, to take care of it with diligence and yet free, knowing who they are in you. Lord, thank you that you love us before we accomplish anything. And Lord, I pray that you would embolden and empower each person here to be an ambassador of Christ and his kingdom right where they are for your glory and the good of their circle. Lord, thank you that everyone in here can join you in doing your work. Give them a vision for how you want to use them for your glory. For the benediction, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace as you do the Lord's work. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.